I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Federal Reserve is, as we all know, one of the most important financial institutions in the world. But it isn't exactly the first name that comes to mind when one thinks about innovation. But as the global economy has changed, the Fed is changing with it, or at least is prompted to, as a range of developments from cryptocurrencies to digital payments are changing the way banks operate around the world. Now, part of this change has been to bring in a new generation of experts to help inform the process and assist the central bank with its own digital transformation. And one of the key insiders in that process is Sunaina Tuteja, the Fed's new chief innovation officer. Now, Sunaina is not a rookie to the fintech beat. In fact, she was one of our very first guests when we started the podcast, and we're especially delighted to have her back on for her first official interview in the role. So if you're interested in the Fed and where it's going, sit back for a conversation with the outsider, who's now very much anything but. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon, Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some Sunaya, thanks so much for making it on to Fintech Beat. Thank you, my friend Chris. Uh, yes, joining the Federal Reserve System as the inaugural System Chief Innovation Officer was certainly not on my 2021 bingo card, but here we be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, I have known you nonetheless, you know, I think that you're you're very much up to the task. I mean, you have been always sort of leading these conversations at first from the private sector uh, with TD Ameritrade, uh, where, uh, you know, you were always very much up front and, 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 and very much out there talking about new innovations, whether or not it be cryptocurrencies or digital payments. Um, you know, what motivated you from sort of moving over from that role, right, to this new public sector role at the Fed? Yeah, you know, um, thank you, by the way, for those kind words, kind intro and having me back uh, on your pod. Um, As an avid listener, I'm always elated to have this opportunity to, you know, have this chat with you and, you know, hopefully share a few valuable nuggets with your audience. Um, You know, as I said, like this was definitely not on my bingo card. I uh, have, you know, I've been very grateful um, to have had a career leading change and innovation at the nexus of finance technology and policy. So, you know, I've always worked with policymakers, uh, but thus far I was always the troublemaker on the opposite side of the table, arguing and debating and trying to push uh, push forward some of the things that we, at the, you know, in the in the industry wanted to, um, you know, lead in terms of transformation and innovation with these frontier technologies. So, you know, when I first um, uh, was uh, approached about this. Uh, first of all, I thought somebody was pulling a prank on me. I, I was, I was, I was, I was pretty uh, convinced that one of my uh, Bitcoin friends or crypto friends were, you know, trying to, you know, dunk me. But it turned out that it was a legit role. And and you know, the more I went down the rabbit hole, Chris, what really inspired me was one, um, how nicely it, it aligned it is with my personal mission and what I've somewhat devoted my 
career thus far, which really is, you know, how do you harness the power of these frontier technologies, but do it in a way that's purposeful and that's really helping us break down barriers that persist in financial services? Because by doing that, we're empowering Main Street consumers to really take charge of their financial freedom. And, and that is so nicely aligned with the mission of the Fed and what the Fed has existed and continues um, to do in its mission of serving the U.S. economy and the U.S. consumer. Uh, and then the second thing for me really was I'm at my happiest uh, when my learning curve is very steep. Um, maybe we're just masochists. I don't know. Um, but, you know, this really was an opportunity to not just come in and contribute based on the experiences and expertise I've uh, developed in the private sector, but also an opportunity to just learn uh, and grow and, you know, really kind of push myself out uh, to the edges in some ways. And I have to say, having completed my first 100-day adventure uh, at the Fed, one, I'm just super grateful for this inaugural opportunity. And two, I'm just feeling pretty bullish about the awesome work that's ahead of us and the opportunity to make a meaningful dent. So, you know, I, I think that uh, almost anyone listening to uh, this podcast will immediately say, well, this doesn't sound like your typical central banker. Uh, you know, when you think about the Fed and when you think about central banking and when you think about central banking and, and, and innovation, you know, um, you know, there's, there's obviously this, this, the outstanding joke as to whether or not, you know, that's, that's an oxymoron or, or, or not. Um, certainly you've seen other agencies uh, in in the United States, um, sort of uh, pick up on innovation and, and think about what role innovation should play um, uh, uh, for them, whether or not it be the CFTC or the FDIC, and they have some really interesting things uh, uh, going on. But when you think about the Federal Reserve and, and you think about your first hundred days and you think about what innovation looks like at the Fed, you know how is it different or or, or similar to what you've seen? Um, either with colleagues in other agencies or, or when you think about your own experience in the private sector? Yeah, that's an astute observation. And I think it's really a, a, a strong signal uh, as we're seeing several policymakers and agencies that you reference really put a focus on these types of assignments, which thus far really were kind of table stakes in the private sector. Um, but I'm happy that these types of roles now in the public sectors are, aren't novelty anymore. It's almost like it's a need to do. Um, in terms of the compare and contrast and, you know, kind of I, I, I've spent my first 100 days trying to suppress my bias for action uh, because I've been very disciplined in just wanting to listen and learn uh, from a diversity of perspective perspectives across the system. And uh, Chris, as you know, you know, the Federal Reserve, as I like to illustrate to my friends and family, it's like a solar system, right? Anytime you start a new assignment, you feel like a little alien that got dropped on a new planet and you're sensing and adapting to everything that's new. For me, you know, joining the Federal Reserve, um, uh, much to my own astonishment, is it's almost like entering a new solar system because it's not one planet. It's a group of, you know, 12 independent planets that have, you know, their own sense of ethos and gravity and their independence, which is essential. And yet all the regional, you know, the, the reserve banks and the board come together and engage in this interdependent solar system elegant model to kind of serve the needs of the American economy. So I think taking that macro view and the, that system view and really ingesting these perspectives was important to me. Um, 
you know, one of the things with innovation um, is it's often equated with a technology. Technology often is the catalyst or the accelerator, um, but that can also give innovation a bad rap um, because it can be seen as shiny object syndrome, right? Or people sitting in a lab, you know, tinkering with stuff. And then the business leaders are going, wait, what am I getting for this? Right. And one of the things that I've always maintained in the private sector and, um, uh, and it's kind of proving out that thesis, even in the public sector is, although it can sound contrarian, is innovation is actually agnostic of technology, right? It always is best rendered and most value added when it starts with an obsession about the customer and finding ways to make that experience, you know, simpler, faster, easier, right? So the anchoring heuristic for innovation that I've always found purposeful and value added um, is one, are we solving gnarly problems? And the gnarlier the problem, the more of a dent we can make. And trust me, you know, the Fed has a lot of gnarly problems it needs to solve and can solve it at a scale that's enviable, right? Number two is, are we solving these problems in a way that's shipping value to that end user? Again, maintaining that you know, view of the voice of the customer and really kind of uh, what is, you know, what, what, what are the solutions, the painkillers that we're delivering that matters to the end customer? It's not about what Sanana needs. It's about who are we serving and are we shipping value to them? And so third, it's something we talk a lot of in the private sector. And I wasn't sure the application of the public sector, but it's a very strong synergy is how are we helping to future proof our business and our institution? right? Just because you are relevant and dominant and have been for years and years does not guarantee that relevance for the future. So as a franchise, how do we continue to evolve, um, you know, to keep up with all the changes, um, you know, and the velocity of changes that are coming our way? And, 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 you know, and that anchoring heuristic around innovation, around solving problems, delivering value, and future-proofing your institution is really nicely aligned as we, you know, as, as we make a dent within the construct of the Federal Reserve System. You know, there, there were a lot of really interesting things in, in that answer, you know, and, and, and I, it reminds me of something that I, I try to tell my students as, as well, right, which is when you think about these institutions and certainly with the Federal Reserve where you have a system and not just just one institution, um, you know, a lot of times people want to have, you know, well, what's the opinion of, you know, XYZ um, uh, agency, but instead, you know, there's a there's a misunderstanding or an underappreciation of how div- diffuse uh, views can be, even within one regulatory agency, um, uh, and, and that even as they are hierarchical, there can be, you know, even within a regulatory agency, certain flatness, especially in highly technical uh, areas. And, and, and when you sort of think about that, you know, um, this 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 aspect of the Federal Reserve, and then you 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 throw on top of it, it's it's various mandates. You know, when you think about traditionally, it's concern for financial stability and 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 price stability, the the operation of of, of monetary policy, right? You know, and, and then as you had mentioned, just sort of future proofing its own relevance, um, uh, 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 both uh, domestically and, and certainly internationally, that, that, that seems to really uh, uh, create a number of interesting challenges and, and things to think through, uh, things that are going to be on your plate. Um, you know, w- now that you've been around, how do you, how do you think about the, the process, right, uh, by which 
you start to think through innovation, you know, given again, I mean, everything from financial stability to the operation of monetary policy. Like, how do you think about innovation and the process of dealing with innovation, both the external innovation that you're seeing in the market and obviously the innovation at the Fed? It was definitely a learning experience as I was going through the process. And, you know, listen, I've grown up in capital markets and uh, the financial services industry. So I'm like, yeah, I know what the Fed does. It's a regulator. They set monetary policies. And when you work in capital markets, your entire day week revolves around the FOMC press conference and minutes. So, yeah, you know, so... But there are so many gradients of the work and that and the complexity of the work that happens within the Federal Reserve System, um, you know, that just that it's a fertile ground uh, for ongoing transformation. Right. And one of the things that was also eye opening is I joined the Fed and have spent time listening and learning and formulating our future strategy is decentralized innovation at the Federal Reserve is pervasive. Like there's no shortage of ideas and initiatives and positive intent. You know, in fact, one of the things I was worried about was people's perception and um, acceptance of innovation. Meanwhile, what I found was there's a wholesale agreement across the system, right? That innovation is a business imperative. Like that in itself is a huge obstacle to overcome, Um, you know, even in the private sector, right? You need that wholesale agreement and acknowledgement before you even start to make your bet. So I think that that creates this fertile ecosystem. Now, the opportunity and the challenge that we have is, and not to get too dead lasso about it, which my friends and families love to mock me about, trying to find the silver lining in every challenge. But the opportunity is, how do you harness this interest and this appetite for innovation into meaningful uh, action that, again, is tangible, right? That it's not this abstract thing. So a couple of the the ways that we, you know, are kind of drawing that through line is one, you know, if you ask people, why do you believe it's important for the Federal Reserve System to be innovating? There's two things you hear consistently, right? One is just the volume, the, the, the variety and the velocity of technologies that are coming our way. You just can't ignore it. Like it's having an impact in every aspect of our life, which then triggers the second component, which is um, think of how much the consumer behavior and expectations have changed just in the span of the deck in the decade and just over the last 18 months, right? And as consumers, we have like the same level of frictionless experience, whether we're hailing a ride or ordering our groceries or doing our banking or, you know, and, 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 and you know, and I think that it becomes another catalyst as a policymaker, but also you know, we have a huge component in delivering financial services to the market that we're kind of keeping up with the times and also leapfrogging. So, I mean, you know, when you think about that, you know, the, you know, you mentioned certainly decentralization, uh, which has obviously been in the news, uh, if you haven't heard, um, you know, what, 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 what kinds of um, emerging technologies then are, are, are really, you know, to, to be a little bit more precise, you know, what's actually captivating your attention and, and, and your time, um, both in terms of the utility uh, to the Fed and, and obviously the urgency for the Fed to, to to lean into. I mean, you know, when you think about that spectrum of uh, technology and that innovation, it is vast, uh, and, and it spans everything from obviously the the, the crypto space to uh, machine learning. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'll start with what you mentioned. You know, there, there's, there's no shortage of things worth pursuing. And I think that's why I go back to the, the, the anchor of what is the problem, right? What is the problem we're trying to solve? And one of the things, you know, kind of using the first principles approach that we're taking is number one, what is the problem we're trying to solve, right? Who are we solving this problem for? Why are we uniquely qualified to solve this problem? And why does this problem need to be solved now, right? I think, you know, really going through that equation helps you come out at the end with a very credible problem statement or a use case, right? Um, and for me, you know, you mentioned stable coins and CBDCs, and there's been no shortage of uh, uh, news They're on that. They're in the that. news. And- <laughs> They're in the news from time to time. <laughs> Lots of fun discussions on that, and we can touch on it. But the area that, you know, I'm really focused on is this confluence of AI and machine learning and robotics, right? Because the other thing we're seeing today with the technology S-curve, that it's not just the impact of one technology. These S-curves are bleeding into each other. So where you really harness the value is where you figure out how are we really combining the forces of what AI, machine learning, and robotics and blockchain together can deliver and tying it back to those problem statements, you know, that, that, that you want to address. So, you know, And also from an external partnership perspective, I look at some of the amazing work that's happening in the fintech community, but also in the academia community around AI and machine learning, not just the application of it, but also what does it mean from a policy component, customer protection component. So I think looking at it from that holistic lens is just, you know, super important. So as you had mentioned, you know, uh, there are lots of things in in the news. I mean, machine learning is definitely one of them um, uh, uh, from, you know, uh, everything from regulatory compliance to credit scoring and the like, you know, you you certainly see the banking regulators leaning into and trying to figure it out. Uh, Crypto has been uh, really uh, almost monopolizing the fintech news over, over the last Two weeks um, in a different context, obviously, you know, with taxation and the infrastructure bill. But you know, when you think about the Federal Reserve and and the question of CBDCs and stable coins, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about sort of what your role is, you know, in sort of thinking through those issues, and maybe just sort of where you see the posture of the Federal Reserve being as pertaining to these two very high-profile issues. Yeah, I think with um, AI and machine learning, just to touch on it very quickly, I think part of that, part of the utility and urgency around these technologies also is how are we applying it even in the scope of the work that happens within the system? So we're leveling up, you know, our efficiency, but also the types of products and experiences that the Federal Reserve System builds, you know, are up to par and relevant uh, and, and, you know, and, and utilizing these technologies, right, to really up the experience. Um, you know, and, and listen, you've known uh, me uh, over my career to be an active participant in the crypto space and my, and, and you know, in and, and my perspective, um, have actually been very consistent on this topic, right? Even coming into the public sector, you know, I've always maintained this technology and having worked with this technology and this asset class over the last few years as an operator and an investor with actually a deep sense of pragmatism. You know, the way I've always looked at it is, which I think applies even in my current role is, you know, 
if you think about it in a product manager sense, money is that ultimate consumer facing product. We all have a relationship with money. Um, and in many ways, you could argue that the US dollar has the most enviable product market fit, right? If you use that language. Um, and as with any product experience, we have seen and we continue to witness the evolution of money, both in its form and function. That's not just something that started today. That's been happening over decades, right? We could argue that it's been accelerated. And, and now with the rise of stable coins and DLT and DeFi, um, really kind of occupying uh, everybody's you know, mindset around this. Um, uh, and I think the, 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 the reason it's relevant from my perspective, really from an innovation perspective is, again, you think of how it's a confluence of a very nascent yet powerful technology like DLT, right? Um, it's about the transforming consumer behaviors and expectations, right? And it's also an acknowledgement that there are gaps within the existing financial systems that maybe we can now, you know, um, correct and modernize and transform because of the availability of these new technologies, but also the consumer is ready and they're, and they're asking for it, which has been yielding, um, you know, this range of on-ramps and instruments that we've seen just even over the last few years, right? And I think as the Federal Reserve of the United States, it's incumbent on us to be exploring um, the potential of these technologies, um, understanding how we can help fill the gaps that you know, may exist in the current financial system. And again, but most importantly, go back to, you know, and listen to the voice of the customer and, and, and then really deciding and understanding what is the role and the approach uh, for designing these meaningful solutions that ultimately serves the needs of the U.S. customer, the U.S. consumer, the U.S. economy, but also the USD's um, role and its network effects globally, right? So I think the discussion paper uh, and the discussion document is um, aimed to generate these important conversations around, you know, the benefits, the risks, the use cases, the design principles, and soliciting that public uh, opinion uh, is going to be uh, a key uh, a key step in that process. So, 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 so basically, even when you think about a CBDC, I mean, this is not even the the stablecoin conversation. Basically, you, your sense is is still that the jury is is still sort of out, but that people are are, are that, that the Federal Reserve is still very much in in its information gathering uh, phase of, of of sort of thinking it through. Yeah, I think that's a fair wrapper. You know, we're listening, we're learning, we're exploring. Um, given you know all the. Um, uh, the points that I referenced to, and I think the conversations that, you know, we hope to generate with the discussion document and just listening to the diversity of constituents will definitely be an important step. So, you know, I, I, before we end, you know, I want to sort of maybe touch on where we began, because I, I think it's really, really interesting that the Federal Reserve, which would frankly choose someone like you uh, to sort of, you know, to, to, to be there, to, to be at the cusp of their uh, innovation conversation, but but you know these kinds of conversations rely on lots of, of of different people, and and many of our agencies, and something that I hear constantly, almost every day from regulatory agencies, is sort of you know this human. Uh, capital, sort of the the, the 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 talent question and the talent gap of how do you make sure that you have people who are familiar with these uh, technologies. Um, you know, uh, uh, available to provide input and and to make sure that the best, uh, most thoughtful decisions are being made. Um, you know, how do you how do you think about that question? Uh, you know, now that that, that you're in, you know, the, the you know the, the value proposition of talent moving between public and private sectors. You know, 
what do you see as the ability of government to attract people, frankly, uh, from the, the whether or not it be the crypto space or the machine learning space or or open banking space? You know, the the, the technologists and 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 you know, do you? Have you learned anything as part of your transition, or would you re- recommend any of these uh, uh, kinds of opportunities that pop up from time to time? And are there things that can make them uh, more attractive, either to the government as a buyer or consumer of talent, or or or, or to the uh, folks out there who could be supplying some of that talent? Yeah, you know, I've always I was always curious when I you know used to see news of folks in our orbit either going from the private sector to the public sector or public sector to the private sector. Um, and, and you're right. I'm not exactly at a central casting for a role at a central bank. And, you know, I and I approach it with a, a great deal of gratitude and humility coming into it. You know, for me, I, I think the catalyst that really started to shift my mental model about this was the alignment uh, around uh, the mission, right? One of the things that the more I learned about the Federal Reserve, and I think this applies to many important roles within the public sector, is you know how mission oriented these institutions are. And again, if you are at a point in your career where you have uh, built up core competencies and experiences, expertise that can be translated, right? And you want to help make a dent. At, 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 at a scale that you probably won't get anywhere else, I think kind of a rotation in the public sector, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I often think of, you know, could we have a model like the Peace Corps for Fed Corps or just, you know, in, in, in the policy world? And, and it's not just one way. I think those on-ramps ought to go both ways. And how do we create more of that cross-pollination, you know, so the industry is benefiting uh, equally as the public sector is benefiting from these talents? Ultimately, you know, we're all on this mission to make sure that the United States of America continues to remain one of the most innovative ecosystems. Uh, and I think we all have a role to play. And I think that cross-pollination and having those, you know, on-ramps that help people kind of go and, and and get experience in the private sector and the public sector just makes that um, so much more fertile and so much more conducive. Um, so while I entered into this with a good deal of humility and trepidation, I would definitely encourage a lot of my friends in the private sector to um, think about these types of rotations and assignments and equally our friends in the public sector, you know, to do a rotation in the private sector, because I do think it helps you expand your uh, sphere of competencies and experiences. um, And I think you're able to make a bigger dent. So Nina, thanks so much for joining the show again. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. On this show, we always like hearing from fresh and interesting voices alongside the more established ones to give you, our listeners, a bit of perspective when you read the latest going-ons in Washington. And what I liked about Sunina is that you hear with her a voice and perspective that you don't necessarily associate with the Federal Reserve and, for that matter, the government. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's not because she'll necessarily be right or wrong about any of the decisions or nudging she'll no doubt be doing in the next couple of years. But because to get to any right answer, even in financial regulation, you need some different perspectives to make sure your analysis and thinking are as rigorous as they should be. And my hunch is Sunina will provide a push in just that direction as fintech ultimately meets the Fed. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.